Jordan Tarver. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast, man. Stoked to be here. <laughs> Let's get it on. Any Everyone listening right now, Jordan is a photographer and editor of Forbes, which I found out recently just from your Instagram. I'm like, what? Didn't know that. World traveler, I would I would call you. Even Would you call yourself a world traveler or like a pro traveler, <laughs> adventurist? I think, where, yeah. Where would you title that? Adventurist. Outdoors adventurist. Kind, of, kind of deal. Okay. So photographer, editor, Forbes, adventurous, solo backpacker, had a near-death experience, author, and now engaged. <laughs> Am I, did, I, did I nail that Nailed to it. a T? You got it. That's a lot of shit, man. And I, would, <laughs> I guess my first question is in what order did all that shit happen? Let's start there. I guess like... Everything from my story really started at at growing this huge passion for the outdoors. And I think that gave me like, kind of like introduced me into all the things I do now. I grew up in a family that was very much into camping and uh, we spent every summer camping ever since I had that instilled at me at a young age. That's what kind of got me into the travel world Mm -hmm. as I started to pick up a camera, as I started to, you know, go to college and do my own trips on my own with my friends. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that was the, really the start of my creativity, um, was going camping with like my homies basically, because mm. we'd go and we'd shoot and we'd come back and we'd, you know, flip through all the photos and then share them online. And it was like kind of that cycle. And that yeah. was like kind of the ignition of like everything I do now. Nice. Where did it, I kind of want to take it back and, and really just give people kind of a clear idea of, of what you're about. So Kind of taking things back to, to even high school days, I know just from us talking bef- before we recorded here, you grew up in Northern California. Yep. Bro- brothers, sisters. Yeah. Kind of paint that childhood story. Yeah. So grew up in Rona Park, which is um, in about an hour north of San Francisco, small town, like 40,000 people. I'm the youngest of four. I have two siblings or two brothers and a sister. My brothers live in LA. My sister lives in Australia. So we're very much a kind of spread across the the globe right now. But really like a big part of my childhood was my elementary schooling, surprisingly. Um, We went to a private Montessori school where the learning was very much hands-on, learn at your own pace, a very creative atmosphere focused on like the science and the arts. And to this day, I attribute a lot of my creativity and open-mindedness to trying new things to that schooling because Mm. at the school I feel like the teachers and just the ecosystem we're in gave you the permission to explore your own curiosities and I think that's trickled into every part of my life yeah not so much in public schools (laughs) is it (laughs) yeah so I was in I was in private until uh, seventh grade. Okay, and then and then, you, and then you, public. After was that. it was that a was that a shock to the system? Just yeah, you know, kind of from what you've said. Like I don't know. I feel like school. I don't know. Schools aren't really encouraging that type of learning environment. I don't know. I could be wrong. Do you mean well, sh- what were the differences there? Yeah. Well, first off, the school I went to was it was forty kids. You know. It was oh 10. shit. Um, my grad. Yeah. My quote-unquote graduating sixth grade class was me and two other people. Uh, so the 
environment I was in just based on the, the population of the, the school itself when I transferred was drastic. Like by all means, it was a, it was a big shift. And I think that was difficult for me um, mm. because, well, first off, the elementary school was in a different city than my public school. So when I transferred school, I didn't have like really like a, a tight knit of like close friends. I had some people that I knew through sports and that's great. But when you're in the public school system, you know, you know, everyone it's, it's very like fluid and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So mm -hmm. when I came into a public school, it was very much of a shock for me. And I just felt, and this is how I felt in a lot of areas of my life through high school too, just always kind of felt a step behind or a step outside of the circle. Um, and I don't know if that was self-imposed because I maybe implemented that thought in my head because I was coming in a year after everyone. So I didn't know as many people, but that was something that I had to work through. And I think that's something that I have worked through like tremendously up until now. So yeah, I mean the, the switch from private to public was definitely drastic. Yeah. I bet 40 students to, you know, how many kids were at your high school? Uh, high school we were at, I think it was 1200. 1200. Okay. Yeah. That's a, that's a good, I mean, it coming from 40, I mean, any, <laughs> anything in the thousands is going to be right. substantial. And like, although I, I felt like I went through a lot of my own personal shit, just kind of figuring out like who I was, who I was and trying to step into my own life better. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't trade anything for the experience I had in elementary school. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't wish I went to public school so I didn't go through those those personal issues or personal problems or challenges that I face. Like, mm. my elementary schooling literally has made me who I am today, um, both creatively, professionally, as a human, the way I interact with people. I think it's really instilled a lot of values uh, in my life. That's pretty rare to hear someone say that their elementary school was so impactful that they still kind of think about it. Like, like I don't fucking think about my elementary school. I think about like, Ooh, I had a crush on this girl or like, you know, whatever. But I, I like, I think a lot of people maybe have that one teacher, like mm -hmm. everybody's got that one yeah. teacher that they remember and that like had a huge impact. But I don't think a lot of people have like, oh, my elementary school was lit. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, it was a unique school. It definitely made a big impact. Um, and I think it had, yeah, just a huge impact, not only on my life, but like even my siblings. Like it definitely was a place that helped each and every one, each and every one of us become the creative yeah. people that we are today. Yeah, man, that's so interesting. So what if you... I mean, do you still feel like if you went to, like, do you think public school still benefited you in a lot of ways? Or like, what if you just stuck it through private school? Like for me, for example, I feel like a lot of the social mm -hmm. situations that I had to go through, any, you know, high school kid that had to go through, like taught me a lot. Like, yeah. Um, you know, dealing with certain pressures and, mm -hmm. you know, even like, you know, I didn't, I didn't deal with a lot of bullying, but you know, some bullying, like you, you deal with shit at, a, at an early sure. age. And I, I almost think that's kind of important Very to go important. through that. Yeah. Cause there's all these private school kids that, you know, don't get to deal with that. And then, you know, 
I don't want to use the word soft, but like the real world hits them and, you know, they're a little bit of a step behind. Do you feel yeah. that in any yeah, way? No. Or? Okay. hundred percent. I think I'm glad I ended up in public school at one point in my life. I feel mm. if I maybe had stayed in a private school all the way through, I wouldn't have faced the normal challenges you may face in a larger group setting. And I think yeah. working through those problems at a younger age is obviously more beneficial than if I were to do it at 20. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> it's sure. like set up the systems <laughs> uh, right, early on. Sure. So yeah. Cool. Yeah. And then sports. You said you played sports. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up uh, playing baseball my entire life. I uh, was super into baseball. We did, you know, all-stars and we played year-round travel ball. Played baseball up until my junior year of uh, high school. Didn't make the varsity team. And I knew I wasn't trying to go pro, play in college. And so I didn't feel like, I was like, ah, I'm not going to go fucking play on JV again. Like, that's not what I want to do. Uh, so I just <laughs> yeah. decided to jump ship and I played tennis out of, like, out of the blue. Okay. Uh, for the last two years of my high school, became the number one singles player, became the captain of the team. It just like oh, shit. clicked. Um, <laughs> so it was like, at first I was like really scared to make that leap um, because you obviously don't know what's going to happen. But mm -hmm. I think that just goes to show the power of behind like trusting yourself and like what you actually want to do. Uh, and at, yeah. at the time I was just, and this is what I still preach to this day. I was just following what I was interested in. I was done yeah. with baseball. I kind of like playing tennis with my dad growing up and I was like, Hey, like they need, a, they got a couple spots on the roster. Like I'll just go try that. Um, and so that's kind of like how my athletic journey ended. Yeah. I think it's very difficult to listen to your curiosities and actually the things that you maybe want to do when you've got so many other people just kind of like following the crowd mm -hmm. and that I experienced a lot you know, from high school to college, because, you know, I knew deep down, like school just was not for me. I shouldn't have gone into school. Well, I, I shouldn't say I shouldn't, I, I don't, I don't regret it, but I wasn't thinking for myself. I was literally mm -hmm. just kind of like hopping around with everybody else. So, you know, for you to kind of really think about dropping a sport and going into another sport, I think, I think that's hard to do for a lot of kids because they're yeah. kind of just following everybody else. For sure. And like up until that point, like all the kids I played with baseball with from the age of five or six, you know, they were still playing ball in high school. All mm. those kids were either on the varsity team or if they didn't make it, they were like, oh, like I still want to play baseball. I'm going to go to the JV team. But I just knew that's not how I wanted to spend my time. And luckily I wasn't, uh, I guess, susceptible to the peer pressure or the you should keep doing this because you've always done it kind of energy. Yeah. Um, yep. Which I'm happy. I just decided to, I guess say fuck you to that. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. Um, and then, and then did you take that to school? Did you play tennis in college? Did you no. go to college? Um, yeah, I went to Cal state Fullerton in orange County, uh, studied mm -hmm. business finance there, but yeah, my, my athletic competitive athletic journey definitely ended in high school. Um, yeah. Why did you go to college? I guess that's what I was living in the, this is what you do next kind of thing. Um, at the time, which is so weird because I don't do this anymore. 
I thought I wanted to be a financial analyst, <laughs> which is like, you know, so far from what I do for a living. Um, so I think that was a drive. I was, I was interested in a sexy paycheck. Um, mm-hmm. And it seemed like growing up with a father that was um, very successful in the marketing world. Mm. I, I think I just wanted to follow his footsteps in the, in the business role. And mm. so I was motivated to kind of follow that route and achieve what I thought I wanted at the time. Um, but I don't regret going to college at all. I think it was one of the greatest experiences uh, of my life. So, Oh, okay. So you did have a good experience then. Was your experience so good because of like just the community and the friendships that you were building? Did it have anything to do with like what you were learning and the things that you were um, absorbing and whatnot? To be honest, it had nothing to do with what I was learning. It had everything to do with who I was surrounded by. Yeah. hundred percent. I was... I, that's joined key, Greek man. life. And so I had a very good community of, of tight knit friends. Um, and because I moved from Northern California and I went to college by myself, I didn't know anyone there. And so I was forced to like, I need to join something. I need to become a part of something for this to be enjoyable or else I'm just mm-hmm. going to be here, you know, just upset that I'm, you know, at school, not really enjoying like what college can be if you make it bigger than, you know, just the learning side. Yeah. So the, so the relationships that you're making, that was, that was everything for you. When did you start to break away from just kind of following the trends and just kind of hopping and doing um, what everyone else did, did or does? Was it like an interview that you had? Was it, you know, was it beyond college? Was it during college? Mm -hmm. When did you start to like, really get a grasp of the direction you wanted to go in? Um, it was when I graduated, I decided to quit my, I was working at a restaurant in Newport beach, mm. um, living on the peninsula. Our lease was up in June. Decided to quit my job and I flew to Europe, um, which ended up to be a, a three month solo backpacking trip. And that was like my first real instance of, I guess, going against the grain. Um, doing something that I personally wanted to do for myself and not for anyone else. Mm -hmm. And that was really to this day, the the most transformative and defining moment of my entire life. Uh, I think it's what has drawn the line between who I once was and who I am now. And those two people are extremely different people um, in the best way possible. It catapulted me on my journey. It catapulted me, toward becoming literally the best version of myself and allowing me to finally realize like who I am supposed to be um, and help me just grow like exponentially. Hmm. If you did that trip and took a gap year before you went to school, would you have gone to school? You think? What do you mean? So if you took that backpacking trip Mm -hmm. and you, instead of doing it after graduating, Oh, I see. So after high school, you mean? Right. Doing it after high school and took a gap year between high school and college and did that trip. Would you have gone back to school, you think? Or I think that really, I think that would have changed my perspective early on. So, I mean, it's hard to say what I would have been doing. Um, I definitely needed money when I, when I came home. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) for sure. Depends where I'd, where I'd be with that. But I think yeah. that definitely would have changed the trajectory of my path for sure, but it's hard to say uh, yeah. 
if I would have wanted to go back to school or not, but I was never in the mindset. I was always in the mindset to go to high school or college right after high school. So the gap yeah. never really, I kind of crossed my mind. I think everyone should take a gap year. I mean, they, t- they tell you that. I think, I, I don't know, maybe I've heard, I've heard that a few times, but God, the amount of people that need that just space mm-hmm. for, for sure stillness and you know not just like fucking goofing off but like getting into the world and like having experiences like yeah that's gonna that's gonna change big time for you i want i want to hear about this trip because you know i read i haven't finished the book yet but we're um we're you know at least almost halfway through but you talk about this trip yeah we're 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 working it baby (laughs) why europe why solo backpacking? What what kind of inspired this to begin with? Yeah, so I mean, my basically all my siblings had done traveling right after college, uh, hmm. and so grow, I'm we're all two years apart. Um, just looking up to my older siblings in that way, I think I wanted to follow their footsteps. Um, it seemed like. I guess seeing them do a trip of their own made it seem like that was normal to me. And that was like, that's what you should do. Uh, Mm. And so that kind of got the, you know, like the thought, the gears moving. Uh, And then I originally had a friend that was going to go with me. Um, And like three months before the trip, he had got a job offer where he needed to train in New York in the summer Mm. and was like, Oh, I can't go. And I was like, Oh fuck. Like, this is so <laughs> out of my comfort zone to go by myself anywhere because at the yep. time I was not a very confident person at all by any means. Um, mm. And so it was very much of a str- like a huge stretch. And like when I told my mom, I was like, Hey, like my buddy dropped out of the trip. I think I'm just going to do this thing on my own. And she was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> because mm. it's like, she knows me more than anyone else. And she knows in her mind, like that's not something I would ever do in my own nature at the time of my life. So that like, it being a solo trip was kind of a blessing in disguise. Mm-hmm. I think um, it was supposed to be that way. I think it would have been a different experience if I had someone else there. Um, and so it really just became an intensive course on my own like life and like learning yeah. about myself um, in a way that was enjoyable. Sure. Was it, was it a, a kind of a shock to the system to like those first maybe week, that first week or two maybe? Did it take a while to like get accustomed to like being on your own or have you had kind of experience like being on your own for that long Mm -hmm. prolonged Um, periods of time? I think the, the switch really flipped like quickly. Like when I got there, Mm -hmm. I think like my mind realized I was alone and if I was going to enjoy this trip, I was going to need to meet people. And so Mm -hmm. I just mustered up the courage like from day one just to, go up to a stranger in the hostel and ask them if you want to go get a drink. Mm. And it was that easy. And like, once I saw it was that easy to meet people, like it just became like fun. It became like a game to me. Yeah. Honestly, of like, how can I meet people? And then also I set an intention, like how can I meet people, but how can I make an impact on their life where this is going to be a a mutual relationship and something that is uh, well received on both ends. And so I was, looking for ways to do that. And I really, you know, it was something that I gained on the trip was like leading with positivity and leading with kindness. And that's very much like a key principle in my life now. And that's, I really attribute it to that trip because 
I felt required in a good way to lead mm-hmm. with that in order to make these like really strong, genuine relationships that were going to help me on my trip of being by myself. Yeah. What kind of sparked the idea to have these intentions? Because I know a lot of people go on trips and they do a lot of things without any type of intention or thought, like I'm going to get this out of Mm -hmm. blank. What kind of made you start? What was it like you starting the trip and being like, Oh shit. Like I need to think about how my mindset's going to be in, in these moments Mm -hmm. or, or did you do it kind of beforehand thinking about this stuff? Yeah. Leading up to, I mean, First off, I'm a very introspective person. I really look inward and kind of think about these things just on like my daily. Um, For sure. And leading up to the trip, I knew I wanted it to be more than just a trip. I wanted it to be more than just a vacation. And so I bought this leather journal um, off of Etsy. And I, I got a patch made that said to whom it may concern with like some like tree designs on it. And I had the patch sewn on to the leather journal. And so this was my journal for the trip. And the idea Mm. behind that was that the reason why it was to whom it may concern is I wanted to document my trip in a way that if it fell out of my backpack and someone picked it up, they could learn a lesson. And it felt Mm. like it was written toward them. And Mm. so that was the first instance of me setting an intention for the trip. And I think that kind of carried its way through. Wow. That's awesome. And and you had, because I know you turned that into your first book, right? Yeah, it's right here behind me, actually. Oh, sick. When did you realize that was going to start, that was going to be like a first book for you? Was that something that you even thought about, like on the trip? Like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be an author. <laughs> no, it never crossed my mind until I was back. I never was a strong writer. I never liked writing, um, oddly mm-hmm. enough, because um, now I do it for a living. And I got back and I was jobless for two months, sleeping on my buddy's couch for those two months. And I, I can't, I don't, I'm not a TV guy. I don't sit around all day watching TV. I can't do it. Um, and so I have to fill my time with creative things. That's just how I work. Uh, Mm -hmm. and so I was like, Oh, well I got this journal thing. It's already written. Might as well, you know, copy it over to a word document and see what happens. Uh, so I just started you know, every day spending time copying it over to a a Google doc and then kind of like chipped away and like was trying to find out ways I could reorganize it into a book. Um, so yeah, it really didn't cross my mind until, you know, I was chilling on my buddy's couch for two months trying to find ways to fill my time. (laughs) Sometimes the, those big moments, uh, happen when being on a couch, like every, every, like, you know, come up story is always started on, on a couch, which is, kind of funny I, I never i never had a couch story unfortunately i feel <laughs> kind of gypped a little bit i wish i had one but i don't okay so you're on this trip you're starting to journal each and every single day you, you've got these intentions what else were you doing on this trip was there i mean kind of just looking at it from a whole were there like some unique moments that happened that you know, you're going to carry with you throughout your entire life or was it just a trip in general? What kind of moments? Yeah. I think, I mean, the, the trip in general has, has just stands out as a really big moment and experience in my life. But at the end of my trip or what I thought was going to be the end of my trip. So my original trip was five weeks um, mm. and I was flying home from Portugal and I had just come from Barcelona 
where I had probably the most amazing time out of any country or any city. Um, Mm -hmm. And I met some really incredible people at the hostel. And my flight from Portugal was the next day. Uh, I think it was like, you know, mid-August or something like that. And I had, my sister was living in Paris at the time and she had met me at a surf hostel in Portugal. We were staying together and I was single at the time. Um, I didn't have a job at home and I didn't have a place to live. So I didn't have anything pulling me back. Mm. And I had messaged the hostel in Barcelona. I said, Hey, do you guys have any extra spots for volunteers? And they said, yeah. And they're like, can you be here tomorrow? And I said, fuck. All right. Uh, started talking to my sister and I was like, Hey, they just offered me this volunteer spot in Barcelona. My flight's tomorrow. And she just encouraged me to skip my flight. Uh, so I skipped my flight, bought a ticket back to Barcelona and then stayed an extra five weeks, uh, which took our six weeks, which took me about three months. Wow. Um, so that was a huge defining moment because it extended that experience for me. Mm-hmm. It didn't cut it short. And so it gave me another month and a half to really live in that new life that I was living in at the time. Yeah, for sure. How, you know, for people that are listening that have no idea, like what hostels are and you know, how they work. Can you kind of explain that a little bit? Like when you say volunteer, like what what does that even mean? So the hostel I worked at was, it's called hostel one. They're all over uh, Europe. They're a phenomenal uh, company. The hostels are really nice. Um, As a volunteer, you basically, it's it's trade for uh, trade food. For stay. Yeah, stay, accommodation, and food basically. So, I'd get, you know, dinner every night, and then we'd usually eat out, like just like in the city during the day. But as a volunteer, you'd you'd you know take the the hostel on day trips around the city, whatever activities are planned. Um, because it was a party hostel. We also ran our own like bar crawls. So if you were on like, you could have a party shift and then it was your job to show people like the bar scene um, and the club scene. Mm-hmm. So that was it working as a volunteer, as a guest. Um, it's obviously, it depends where you stay. You can choose a party hostel or a non-party hostel depending what kind of experience you want to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, the party hostels are very party. Uh, um, if that's your you know cup of tea, then <laughs> go that route. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, that was my experience working there. Um, and I think I, I, I love hostels. I'm definitely out of the hostel chapter now. Um, right. You got to be kind of young, right? Or, or yeah, I was at the time I was 21, yeah. I think. Uh, so it was like prime age for that. Uh, but you know, now, now I'm, I'm down to chip out a couple more bucks for an Airbnb. <laughs> there you go. Is that, is that really the route that you recommend? Like, you know, for the younger listeners, people that are around that age, like, is that the way to do it? Cause you know, we, we, we've had Sam Newton on a couple mm-hmm. times and he's talked about his hostile experience and that's where he met like one of his best friends, like for life. And he, you know, I keep hearing these yeah. stories about just these awesome experiences. I highly recommend hostels for those that are either just getting into traveling or maybe they haven't tried them yet and traveled for a bit. I don't think it's something you should knock until you do it. Um, Mm -hmm. There are a ton of safe hostels out there. Uh, I think sometimes they have a a bad old reputation that may have stuck with them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I can attest for what you said about Sam. I've met 
so many of my closest friends uh, through hostels, people I still talk to to this day that are overseas. I've met people in the States that have come and visit me. Um, it's a very different type of relationship that is made when you meet someone in that state. Let's put it yeah. that way. Um, yeah. And it's a very easy way to meet people too. So I think if you're looking to go meet new people, expand your network and make your network global, let's say, mm -hmm. it's a great mm -hmm. way to, because everyone's there to meet people. Everyone's traveling either solo or with one other person. Yeah. Um, so everyone's always open to, you know, a new relationship. Yeah. I feel like it's a great environment to meet people because most people are solo, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. And that's a very like vulnerable place to be. And so I think like the way our brains work is we want to gravitate towards some type of safety. And mm -hmm. so meeting someone gives that kind of that hominess community safety yeah. type feeling. And that's why it's so easy to kind of like spark up conversation out of like thin air and, you know, mm -hmm. find things that are, that you connect with, with people on and stuff like that. At least yeah. just from what I've heard from others. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely gives you, you know, a community where yeah. you would not usually have a community um, mm -hmm. with not much work involved. You know, you just, you know, pay the rate and go hang out with everyone. Um, right. But yeah, I think it's a, I think it's an awesome option for people that are traveling. Dope. Um, and, and why, why was this trip so impactful for you? Why, what did, what did you, you said you came out of it like a totally different person. Why do you think that was? Uh, it was the first time I ever really s stepped outside my comfort zone. It was really the first time where it something in life required so much of me that I had never done in the past. And it required me to be confident. It required me to be courageous. It required me to step into my power and be, um, yeah, just confident in social situations. And I think that was a big turning point for me. And it really allowed me to find my own groove in my life it allowed me to kind of like even find my voice within social situations it just really played a key role in me developing skills that i feel like i was maybe either behind on or just never had the confidence to explore yeah was it was it easier because you were traveling you're in unknown areas was it easier to kind of detach yourself from the phone and you know, social media and all that stuff because you like you were in such an unknown place. So it was just easy to detach and really, you know, just kind of sit in, in stillness with yourself. Yeah, for sure. I think at the time, I mean, I was um, posting photos on Instagram, but I didn't have, I didn't bring a SIM card. And so I only could access mm. my phone with Wi-Fi, which I think was also a blessing in disguise. Yeah. So I never was on my phone. Unless I had Wi-Fi, I would maybe like post a photo or I was writing some like blogs back then while I was traveling like on the train, I'd write um, on my notes app <laughs> because I didn't have any internet. Yeah. Um, so it was very easy for me to detach because I literally didn't have a way to use my phone for 70% yeah. you know, of the time I was out there. Yeah. Dude, I, I think I think travel is just is so key for everybody, even for people that say they don't like travel, like mm -hmm. you need to go travel, <laughs> at, at least in my eyes, like my girlfriend and I, we, we went to Big Sur for just a weekend, like maybe it was like a longer weekend. It was, I think it was four days, three nights, something like that. Didn't take our phones. We were in just the middle of the woods with a campfire. 
I had never felt so good in the longest time. And I tried to get that. Like, I know I'm not as big of a traveler or, or I don't spend my time in nature as much as, as you do. And a lot of people that camp and do all these really amazing outdoor activities, but, um, I, I like feel myself called to it and wanting to be a part of it because I just feel so much better. I feel like it's because it's the most natural state you could be in because that's where we came from. I think it's our instinct to want to retreat to nature. Um, and we were just in the mountains this past weekend and I was talking to my fiance around the fire and I was just saying like, I was just having these realizations. Like I feel the most centered and grounded and at peace and present with myself when I'm outdoors. Mm. And I think it adds so much value to a busy life when you can do that. Um, because it gives, it's like, there's very few things in my life I do without hearing all this other chatter in my head about all the other stuff going on and and camping or being the outdoors or traveling is like one of those things where I'm present. And I think that can, you know, provide that for many people. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Okay. So getting kind of back on this journey of yours. So you come home from this trip, you're a different person. You've got this incredible experience that I think a lot of people should, should have. You're sitting on your buddy's couch, right? Was it a friend, Mm -hmm. family member? Yeah. Friend. Friend. What, what's your next move from there? What are you thinking, um, about doing what, what were those next steps for you? Well, at the time I was just like trying to get a job because I had spent (laughs) all my money and then I had used my credit card up to the limit. And then I found out that it was letting me go above the limit. So I was like, ah, like I need to fucking spend some money really quick. And so I just had some debt when I came home and I was trying to figure a way how to pay down my debt as quick as possible. Cause I didn't want that hanging over me from a, an experience like that. Yeah. And so I had actually sent my resume to a friend while I was traveling because I knew how much help I needed financially when I got back. Yeah. Um, to hopefully get the gears turning. Um, it took a while. It took those two months to get a job. I started, um, working in the mortgage industry, um, in 20, what was it? The end of 2016, I think October. Okay. And that was just a, a an obvious follow-up of my business finance degree um, at the mm-hmm. time. And that was kind of my first step into the workforce. And as I slowly worked more and more in the mortgage industry, which I ended up being there for about two years, I've started to really understand that if I'm going to work for the rest of my fucking life, I'm 100, 100% only doing something I love. Hmm. And so the gears started turning, how can I do something I love for a living? And that was like, so it was a blessing that I worked at this mortgage job because I think those thoughts wouldn't have came if I didn't have that experience that made me feel really terrible about where I was working. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's when I started to kind of see, well, maybe like I could do writing for a living because I have this, like my thing is the intersection of like a skill and like a passion where you can like meet those two things in the middle is like, that's where I wanted my job to exist. Mm. And so like the passion was writing and like the skill or knowledge, let's say was, was business finance. And so Mm. now like at Forbes, I'm the editor for uh, the loans category. And so Mm. I've been able to cross the knowledge of finance and the passion of writing and editing into one. 
Yeah. Um, but it was, you know, it was that mortgage job that got those gears turning to get me there. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of had a similar moment myself where my dad is a financial advisor. And so I was still figuring myself out and, and I found myself in an interview at a financial advising firm. And I'm like, <laughs> I got to get the fuck out of here immediately. Like that's, that was my thought process. Like as they're asking me questions, like I got to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Like, what am I you doing? Less, less of those questions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's funny that you kind of, you experienced something similar. Are you still working for Forbes? Is that a job that you still have or? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So and, I, I, you love I edit. It. I love it. It's easily the best company I've ever worked for. Um, yeah most flexible and a very caring uh team that's the awesome. best way to put it very caring huge. uh team to be a part of so yeah awesome so okay so now you're working for forbes you got a job are you still traveling are you still like i know you've got the whole camper van set up mm -hmm. and you're doing that i see you have you have a jeep then you had a van yeah, what so you, I did doing with those. Um, the Jeep was with um, I was doing a project with another company, uh, mm -hmm. Camper Cartel. They're out of Topanga actually. Uh, before we moved to Washington, I still have my van, which I converted in 2017. Um, back when I lived in Orange County, that's what we have up here now in Washington. So since COVID, I think our we just put a pause on our like world travels. Um, obviously, yeah. But with being up here in Washington, there's so much to do and it's overwhelming. Uh, but we've uh, done Olympic National Park in May. We just got back from the North Cascades from this past weekend. Next month, we're going to Mount Rainier. And then in August, we're doing two weeks uh, to Montana, Wyoming, and Idaho. So we're just pretty jam-packed with camping for the next wow. two or three months. Um, and our goal is just to you know get back overseas probably ended this year and then into summer next year. Yeah. How how often do you go on trips with this with your camper van? We try to do it one a month. I think that's like what our that's our our goal has always been. But sometimes it's a little bit more difficult when we were living in California because the availability of reservable campsites is more thin, and mm -hmm. therefore it's harder to get them if you don't plan in advance. So I made yeah. a point when we moved to Washington, knowing how many national parks are here, to really like plan out like a good like run of like just constant trips. And once we're back in August or we get back uh Labor Day weekend in September, we're just going to put the brakes on for a sec because it's, it's, it's exhausting, especially, you know, with everything else going on in our life between yeah. work and business and projects. Um, yeah. We're going to need a little bit of break for sure. Yeah, no, I get it. I, I'm, I don't really know the camper van space. I, I watch YouTube videos on it. I don't know why. I just find it fascinating. Like maybe I'll even have one for myself one day. Cause I'm obviously interested in it. If I'm like constantly yeah. watching these YouTube videos about like builds and stuff, maybe, I, maybe mm -hmm. I just like the design of them. I don't know. Um, but you see those, those fucking the, the reels of like, camper van life and all the locations and then the you know the classic like feet shot with the great landscape yeah and you know mm -hmm. it's all picturesque and, and just perfect and everything and then people are starting to create these reels of like the reality of like you know sleeping in the gas station at the, like <laughs> this random parking lot and shit like that so it's it's definitely it's it's hard like you're you're yeah. kind of dogging it a little bit 
for sure to a degree oh. yeah yeah but i think if you love it that doesn't phase you i guess That's it doesn't phase me uh yeah. and like if you i grew up camping my entire life so i think i'm okay with the being fucking dirty for four days i don't know it doesn't bother me um yeah it kind of makes me feel like i'm alive <laughs> just yeah. like out there like being a part of earth and nature and kind of have yeah dog in it like just like doing what you got to do to make make it happen um, for sure so yeah. it's definitely you get back and you're like all right i'm gonna chill <laughs> yeah i gotta i gotta pump the brakes on this one yeah, for a little bit for and sure get the dirt out of my fingernails and shit when did you when did you have that nde the the near-death experience 2013 um i was a freshman in college and oh so we this were, was before you're traveling yes um okay. And we were coming back from an event and we got clipped um, on the freeway going like 80. Wow. Car falls on the side, slides five lanes, and somehow magically stops like right before the center divider. I still don't know how. And we got clipped by another car of our own friends. Their car, two rolls landed upright no injuries anyone wow weird really weird i have the chills right now major chills yeah me too. the worst injury that happened was the driver in my car had glass in his hand from the uh the window shattering as we slid and his hands were on the steering wheel that was it no concussions no broken bones everyone walked away um yeah it was like it was weird, man. It was one of those times where you don't think it's ever going to happen to you until it's happening to you. And you're fishtailing at 80, 85 miles an hour across the five lane freeway in Orange County. And you're like, holy fuck, this is wild. And it, everything goes slow-mo. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, just praying. Like I literally, I will never forget this. I said out loud under my breath three times, please don't die. Please don't die. Please don't die. It was the last three things I said before we completely fell on the side, and then it was silent until, until the car stopped. And the first thing that was said was, "Is everyone alive?" And everyone, you know, acknowledged that they were alive, and we tried to climb out of the car. So, mm. yeah, I think that really woke me up. That was one of the moments that really woke me up. It really taught me the how fragile everything is. And while you <clears throat> while you may think you walk this earth safely. You just never know. You never yeah. know. And it's and it's something can be completely out of control that can take you out. And even if you are the most, you know, focused, centered, conscious, aware person, you just never know. And I think that has really that moment has really taught me to appreciate the opportunity that I have, you know, to touch my feet to the floor every single morning. And because mm-hmm. of that, and knowing that that could be taken from me that gives me the motivation to like just put everything I have into this life and, you know, make it exactly how I want it to be and make sure I enjoy doing it. Hmm. Did that moment make you feel more alive afterwards or initially did it make you more fearful and more like just, yeah, more, more fearful. I think it took some time for sure. Um, to 
connect the dots on like what and start to think about like why it happened and being an introspective person that's something that i would want to explore and and think about and write about and ask myself like what was the reason because i do believe everything does happen for a reason i think there's a meaning behind everything and and so i wanted to figure out like why that happened to me like why why did i almost die you know was it my wake-up call and and i think as i got older i started to realize like yeah <laughs> that was a yeah. fucking wake-up call yeah. but at the time yeah i was like for a good like at least i mean it, it still happens sometimes to me um because the a big rig had moved in the lane in front of us and he, I don't think he saw the cars mm-hmm. and that's how the, the accident started. Cause one car swerved and hit the other one. Mm-hmm. And so ever since that, like I've just had like a weird thing about driving next to big rigs. Mm-hmm. I just have like a weird, like, I don't know. I yeah. just gotta, I gotta move. Like the spidey <laughs> senses are tingling. Yeah. Just like, like okay. I don't like this situation. Yeah. Cause I think about it every time I, I drive by a big rig. Um, and yeah. then for, a couple months after I would just get like, like sense of, uh, burning metal in my nose, just like constantly. Really? Um, That's interesting. So weird, weird things that kind of trickled out after, but mm-hmm. yeah, I think fearful at first, uh, but I was able to connect the dots in an understanding way later on. Yeah. Did you, so you just blacked out then and then you woke up and to somebody's voice saying is, is everyone alive? Uh, I remember the whole thing. It's pretty vivid for me. Oh, you're awake. Um, yeah, it was shit. Really vivid. Um, I still remember fishtailing, and I still remember like it turning slow mo, and I mm-hmm. still remember saying, "Please don't die! Please don't die! Please don't die!" And once the car was sliding and it was like really getting smoky inside, it was just silent. Like we all were just like sitting there, like you know, not doing anything. We're just like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah, I was awake for the whole thing. Hmm. So interesting. I kind of had a similar experience, but I was so young, but it hasn't really affected me. I I don't know if you could call it an NDE. Like, I don't know. What, What is the definition of an NDE? Is it, is it where you're almost, like have a death experience or is it when you actually like go out and like touch death? I guess it depends who you ask. Um, I think it'd be either. Cause yeah, there are the, the people that have actually gone out and had an experience on whatever's on the other side and then come back and then they have these ridiculous stories. Yeah. There's definitely that. Um, but I mean, if you're close to dying in any sort, like I'm calling it a near death. That's an NDE. <laughs> yeah. Well then damn it. I had an NDE. <laughs> I was uh really quick. I was in, I was in Mexico. I must've been like eight years old and we rented these scooters and we were going up the mountain and it, you know, to get up mm-hmm. the mountain, you'd go around and around and around. And uh, I forgot where exactly we were. It was, it was close to Puerto Vallarta and we were coming back down and I was sitting on the back with my dad of these like just sketchy scooters, man, you know, Max, like <laughs> there's, there were no rules where we were. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think I had a helmet. I don't know. I don't think, I think my dad had a helmet on too, but anyways, 
uh, going down, we were going too fast. He had to go over the double yellow to take the turn. And it was a blind turn. And there was this huge coach bus coming the other way. And we sideswiped it. And before we did, like I blacked out, which is why I asked if it, mm. it blacked out. Blacked out, bounced off. I woke up um, like on the side of like a very close edge to death. Um, and and then we, we basically walked away with it. I had, you know, pretty bad road rash. Uh, my dad broke his finger, had a cut on his forehead, but we pretty much walked away from it. And then wow. in, in high school, I get a motorcycle for my, for myself. So I don't know, <laughs> I guess I wasn't affected by it. I don't know. No don't fear know. there. I no guess. Fear. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I still think about it. I'm like, did it affect me? Do I have some sort of trauma? So I don't know, but I think about it. Do you feel like it's caused some, some trauma internally for you other than like the burning of metal and other things? Or do you feel like other than that, like you're pretty, you've overcome it. Yeah. I think I definitely worked through it and, and did work around like kind of trying to heal that trauma. Um, mm -hmm. So I think like it doesn't, I'm not, I don't like live in fear because of it. Yeah. If that makes sense. Um, That's good. I'm not afraid of death because I saw how easy it is to, to possibly die. I think mm -hmm. the outcome was actually positive because now it's made me want to live life and lead life in a certain way because of it. Mm. I got you. That makes sense to me. Well, that's dope. And then, and then finally, like, you know, how did you, when did you come up with this idea to write your second book? So you came out with the first one, moment, what was it called? Moment. moment. And when did you decide to come up with the second book? What kind of sparked the idea? Was it from these experiences that you've had the near-death mm -hmm. experience the solo trip were you just thinking about how you were so lost at one moment and maybe mm -hmm. you had people in your circle that you felt were like just kind of like we talked about going with the flow just kind of yeah you know listen to what other people are are doing what, what kind of sparked this idea yeah i think like i just know how much i've been through in the sense of trying to understand who I am and understand my purpose here. And I, mm -hmm. I know what I've gone through to arrive where I'm at now and, and feel really in my power. Mm -hmm. And basically I just feel like I want to offer people the tools that I used in my own journey to get here just as a way to, to support them. Because I really think the things that are in this book you know, they're going to work wonders. And I, I believe that because I've seen them work wonders in my life and I teach from a place of personal experience. So everything that in that book, you know, is something that actually happened to me. And so I know the, the benefit that those lessons can have because I've, I've seen them unravel in my own journey. Mm -hmm. um, and just knowing that, that I had that kind of experience and knowledge, it felt like a disservice to not only myself, but the people out there that may need help to not publish something on it. Mm. Like it felt like I had to do it. I didn't have a choice really. I don't, mm. I don't kind of hard yeah, to explain, powerful. but like, I just felt so drawn to 
wanting to help people in that realm because of what I went through and what I feel like I've achieved. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people are lost and I think a lot of them don't even know that they're necessarily lost because they're just so on to the next thing. I mean, even myself, I'm like, you know, I'll finish up with this podcast. I'll make some lunch and maybe I'll watch a YouTube video and then I'm on to the next thing and on to the next thing. And like, mm-hmm. I, I just don't think people are spending enough time in stillness and really yeah. thinking about some of the things that they want. And, you know, especially the reason why I like your book so far is because it makes it feel very attainable and just very natural. And I think personal development can feel really like just, it can like trigger people Mm -hmm. and, and it's just a hard, it's hard people to get in and start thinking about some of these things. And yet, you know, with the creatives and the people that I've worked with and with the creators blueprint and things like that, everyone's looking for something else other than, you know, looking internally at themselves and like what's going on in here and, and, yeah. and the mindset, Every, everyone's looking for a fucking strategy, <laughs> a fucking pill, uh, a fucking, you know, something other than working on their mindset. And I yeah. feel like this book is, is just a very digestible, easy way to kind of start thinking about some of these things. Well, First off, thank you for saying that. I really appreciate that. Um, My goal with the book was, like, I agree. This stuff, I don't think it should be complicated because it doesn't need to be complicated. Um, And I wanted to write a book where it felt like I was talking directly to the reader. Um, I wanted it to feel like I was having a conversation with them and not teaching them a lecture on a complex topic. And so my intention with writing the book was write like I speak. How would I, if I was in a room with you, like we are now, virtual room, I guess, how would I teach (laughs) you these lessons? Would I try to sound really intellectual or will I kind of like cut the BS and just like say it how it is? And that's how I wanted to write the book because I think that's going to help people realize that it's not, doesn't have to be complicated if you're taught it in a more simple way. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I, and I know you call it like your kind of your masterclass within the book, but I wouldn't even call it a masterclass. I would call it like, a, like you said, a companion, like a friend, like mm-hmm. a little sidekick in your pocket to just be there, like when you need it kind of thing. And I, I really like that for people that are feeling a little bit lost, a little stuck. And, you know, most of the people listening to this podcast are creatives a lot of a lot of creatives feel stuck and, and overwhelmed with you know, I get it too man on. <laughs> yeah I know me too like let's not bullshit like we, <laughs> we all have our shit right yeah but people that aren't at least haven't started kind of looking inward you know where should people start with this journey of being more mindful and coming up with a stronger mindset because you know I talk about this all the time on the podcast and in the creator's blueprint and everything. The mindset is literally like, that's the domino effect of yeah. everything else in your life. So where, where, where can people really get started with this? What should they kind of, what were those first steps they should, they should take? Yeah. I mean, I, it, I start the book off like this and this is what I recommend to every single person that asks me um, that I think it's really important to start at your own awareness 
um, which is the ability to recognize what's happening internally and externally, because that's going to give you the best understanding of you and in your life. And I think you'll start to understand more of what you actually want, what you actually want to do, not what other people want you to do or not what society thinks you should do. And you can start that by buying a journal. Like I'm a, I'm a big proponent on journaling. Journaling has given me an act, like an access. It's given me access to my own mind. It's helped me understand things I'm going through in life. It lets me write about those things. It lets me understand challenges. Uh, it lets me understand achievements and just really like a, gives me a holistic view of like my internal self. And I think mm -hmm. journaling, because that's how I started my solo backpacking trip, was my gateway into becoming the best version of myself or always striving to be a better person. Mm. Um, so I know journaling can be intimidating to some people. Not everyone is a journaler, but I don't think it has to be that intimidating. It doesn't have to take you that much time. I write in a journal every day for five minutes. That's it. I five minutes and I close it up. It doesn't mm. have to be a 20 minute, 30 minute hour ordeal. Um, I think it's just a good exercise because it starts to get you thinking. You start to think about yourself for once. <laughs> mm -hmm. Totally. I think the reason why people are so intimidated is because they feel like there needs to be some sort of structure or like there's rules or anything like that or something like that. Yeah. So, well, yeah, I, I get that. And I'm happy to tell you that I don't make any rules in my journal. Um, which is great <laughs> well, good. because I think that's a great way to start is I don't journal with any prompts or anything. I open my journal and just kind of think what's on my mind today. And I write about whatever is on my mind. There's no like, Oh, I need to do this every single day because it's going to help me become more aware. It's just mm -hmm. start writing about your life and then you'll mm -hmm. start to explore your life more you know, just through your thoughts. And so it doesn't have to be this answer this, you know, like eye opening question and come up with an answer that's going to change your life. Just start writing about your life. Don't make it complicated. Mm. There's no, you don't need to have a prompt. Mm. And you could like, in my book, I refer to it as verbal vomit, just vomit your words onto a page. They don't have to make sense. They don't have to be complete sentences. You don't have to be a perfectionist. No one else is going to read it. Just get the words on the paper. And I think the ball will start to roll and you'll start to see the benefits it has. Yeah. Do you have any kind of prompts that you, that are like your go-tos? I, I usually like to have some sort of prompt if I can, just to kind of get the ball rolling. If I, if I can't, you know, vomit, like you say, if I'm struggling, yeah. even with that, like what kind yeah. of prompts help you the most? Um, definitely like a gratitude prompt. That's where I started my, like, journaling journey just mm -hmm. would write down like five things i'm grateful for and like a positive affirmation mm -hmm. um another one i like to do is is just recapping the day before because like i have a journal i basically buy a new journal for every single year um mm -hmm. and so you know when i'm 50 i'm gonna have you know 20 of these <laughs> on my life and it's gonna be great right. because i can look back and read what was going on. So that's another prompt is like just recapping the day before. And then you could also like 
write about what you're looking forward to. I'm a big like advocate on like always having something to look forward to because I think it gives your life excitement and then you don't feel so like flat and like lost and confused because you're like, oh, I got this thing coming up today or this thing coming up this weekend. So yeah, you know, gratitudes, recapping your day before or writing about what you're looking forward to. I think there are three great prompts. Yeah. I like, I like the idea of writing about your day that, or the, you know, writing about yesterday. Um, that's something that I haven't really heard or even thought about doing. And I feel like that would help me a ton in, in kind of getting unstuck with patterns or noticing patterns, mm-hmm. like throughout yeah. my day of like, maybe I'm doing something that's like really not supporting me in a certain way. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you're living your life, you're not really looking at it from that objective point of view, but seeing those words on paper, I feel like would, yeah. would make kind of an impact like, Oh, you know, I watch four hours of Netflix before I go to bed every night. Like, Oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. <laughs> Some shit, you know. <laughs> There's another one that you, you may even like this. Um, I do it on every first day of the month. I write Dear Jordan a letter to myself. Um, just to recap Ooh. what's going on in my life. What am I working on? What things have I been achieving? What people are around me? Just a really high level, like kind of just yeah, just summarizing what moment I'm living in right now, um, just mm-hmm. to start off every month. Um, and it's something that I've been doing probably consistently since 2020. Um, and it's something that I just, I think it's cool. I think it's a cool way to, you know, write to your future self so you can go back and read this letter and see what was going yeah. on. And you do that every single month, the first day of the month. Yeah. First day of the wow. month. So this one coming up would be July 1st. I usually write like a, just a single page, nothing like too long or too short, just enough to like understand, you know, what things are happening. And what, what are some of the things that you, that you're talking about in these little letters? Um, recently, because the book has been so much a part of my life before it being released, it was kind of like where I'm at in that journey, because I think that's going to be really fun to look back on in years to come to see the growth I made from that time when I was putting out this, this product. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, but it's usually just what, what things am I, am I doing in my life that are making me happy? What's going on right Mm -hmm. now? That's making me feel alive. Um, Mm -hmm. so it could be anything from getting engaged to releasing this book, to seeing family for the first time since COVID like shutdowns. Um, just monumental things, I guess, mm-hmm. that would stand out um, as like big moments that I'm going through. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. Um, I, I, I wanted to ask you this too. You know, I think and this is something that I've, I've kind of talked about semi-recently and, and that's like really the difference between finding your passion and finding your purpose. And I think people have a hard time stating what their purpose is because it's like, so like monumental and it's like, Oh, I don't know what my purpose. And again, another thing that's like, um, just kind of can be intimidating for people. Yeah. And I think, I think people make the mistake of with the passion side of it. I think people make a mistake 
of saying that, you know, as long as you find your passion and you dive into your passion, like that's it, you're good. And I think there's a little bit more to that. So Mm -hmm. I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, really, do you need both? Is there, is there different, what's the difference between the two for you and, and what would you tell someone that's kind of like having a hard time kind of nailing that down? Yeah. I think both first off, great question. Um, I think both of them work together. Um, I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's both of them together as one, the way I see it and the way I teach this is that your purpose is the, the message. It's the value that you want to bring to the world. Right. So my purpose is I want to heal people through my creativity. That's what I want to do. I want to help people through my creative outlets. Right. Mm-hmm. Your passion is the craft. It's the thing that lets you ex lets you like let that purpose into the world. And so mm-hmm. my purpose is to heal people through creativity. My passion is writing. And so with this book, I wrote a book that lets me heal people. It lets me help them improve their life. And so mm-hmm. the passion almost helps spread your purpose. Let's put it That's that the way. medium. It's the right. medium. It's in the which boat you your that makes yes. travels to the to yep. wherever you're going, your dream island. <laughs> I love boat analogies and I love dream <laughs> islands. <laughs> that's how you, 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 you have a quote in the book and, and that's why I asked it. It, it, it. You say your potential is the permission you give yourself to achieve success through your passion while being able to spare your purpose through or wait, share your purpose through offering value to the world. And I think mm-hmm. like, I just think that's a great way to kind of condense it into almost like an equation for people to kind of fill in the gaps yeah. in, a, in a really nice way. Um, and I've never heard, you know, someone say that your potential is like the permission you give yourself. Where, where did you come up with that? I think that's really good. Um, it just came to me. Uh, it's that's just i am i am let's put it this way i'm a very spiritual person um and i feel very connected to whoever is above and i think a lot of this book came from somewhere else um Mm -hmm. and so some of these ideas they literally came to me as i was typing they weren't necessarily these long thought out theories um and i think that one came through and i was just i knew it was exactly how I wanted to teach that topic because mm-hmm. your potential is the permission you give yourself to succeed. Um, you can give yourself permission. If let's see, you can either tell yourself you have great potential or you can tell yourself you are, there's a ceiling. You don't have a lot of potential. There's a mm-hmm. two routes that you get to choose for yourself, I believe. Um, and so if you give yourself permission to take the positive route. If you give yourself permission to say that I can reach whatever I want, your potential is going to raise because now you have the motivation and the, and the beliefs in your mind to get there. Hmm. But if you don't think you're worthy of that path, you're just going to cap yourself. You're just going to put a ceiling right over your head and you're never going to, you know, your potential is never going to go through the roof. So that's what hmm. I think that comes from. 
I think it's powerful. I think everybody has a, has a choice. What are, what are you doing these days to keep that theme going? What kind of daily practices are you doing? Um, even after, you know, writing a book about this and, you know, having this be a part of your life for so long, what are you, what are you doing to kind of have this maintenance work of making sure that you're, you know, reaching your potential and, you know, living in integrity and, and, and making sure you're doing the things that actually provide you joy and fulfillment. Um, just continually challenging myself. I think I'm more scared to give up than I am to fail. I'm more scared to quit and regret that than I am to try something and fall short. So I mm. think it's for me, it's just continuously pushing my limits. Um, to the point where it feels like I want to quit, but knowing myself, I will never quit because I don't want to live with that feeling. Mm. Um, and so that's to break it down a little bit more in a, a, a better way, I guess, is to just constantly push yourself outside your comfort zone. It doesn't have to be far either, but mm. if you can extend outside your comfort zone a little bit further than the day before or a little bit further than the project you put out, or the, the product you made, or the workshop you're doing. If you can just push the needle a little bit more, the compound effect, you know, small repeated actions over time will compound to greater things. And mm -hmm. I think that's like key for me. And I think that could be key for any creative person. Yeah. So awareness, getting uncomfortable, and then you talk about intentional living what is what, what do you mean by intentional living so intentional living is simply stated it's just putting purpose behind your choices and your actions mm. and so when you have purpose behind your choices and actions you become selective in what you do and when you become selective in what you do you only choose things that support your journey and so when you live intentionally you're aligned with your core values you're aligned with your beliefs you're aligned with your goals and it just literally puts you in alignment with the direction that like you should be heading. Mm. I love that. Everything that I'm trying to do, I'm, I'm trying to do it with like a really specific purpose and anything that's kind of outside of that. I really have to like think about whether I should do it or not. And I'm mm -hmm. very, I don't know. I just feel like as I get older and older, the more selective I get because I'm trying to reserve my energy and, and my yeah. time as much as I possibly can to focus on the things that are, you know, important to me. Mm -hmm. Is there like a, like a process for like that you have when making these decisions? Because I think a lot of, a lot of creatives make the wrong decision <laughs> or they, or, or not necessarily the wrong decision, but you know, they're not, they feel like they have to please someone or they feel like they have to, you know, do something in order to support somebody else or, or whatever. They're not really focusing on, on their own, mm -hmm. you know, goals and whatnot. Is there like a, a, a deciding, like a filtering system that you use to like, you know, make those proper decisions for yourself? Well, I mean, I think you actually kind of answered the question because you got to put yourself first, first off. I, I totally believe in that. And if you're making your, if you're making a choice in spite of someone else or in, 
what they want from you, I think you're already in the your head in the wrong direction. I think you need to put yourself mm-hmm. as a priority and your decisions and choices should help you get closer to a goal, whatever that goal may be, whether that's personal growth, creative business, friendships, anything. Mm-hmm. Your choices should align you with that goal. And so you're always working in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, dude, I use the freaking energy bubble that you taught me like all the time. Like, I think it's like such a good lesson and not only just for your business, but personal life, do it for mm-hmm. people, relationships you have, who do you need to get rid of? And not mm-hmm. that in a bad way, but like, who are the people that are supporting you? What other people maybe are pulling from you and stealing your, your energy and adding negativity to your life. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I've actually leaned into that exercise a lot with helping me decide like, what do I actually need and what can I kind of like weed out? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough, man, because you know, you want to give to people and, you know, building that community around you is huge because giving is receiving. It comes back times Mm -hmm. 10, but at the same time, you're like, fuck, like I got to focus on my own shit. And, you know, it's just finding that balance of like, honing in on what you need to do. And then, and then also, you know, using your time to give as well. I, I think it's a lot easier said than done. For and, sure. Um, yeah. I, I struggle with that, you know, yeah. all the time. I think a lot of people, people do. Yeah. People asking me for things like, I really want to help, but like, I got this thing I got to do and, you know, yeah. I mean, boundaries are definitely important, you know? Um, yeah. And I think boundaries, putting yourself as a priority, but, that doesn't mean, you know, closing yourself off to everyone else, but being more selective with how you navigate that path of mm-hmm. choice. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So, so what's next for you kind of wrapping things up here. Um, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but what, what's kind of the next big project, you know, you just released this book. Well, yeah. Um, is, it's funny. On the horizon. Well, I mean, getting this book out to more people is like my priority right now. (laughs) Um, I feel like, I feel like now that the book is out, it's not like when you release a, uh, um, like a, a program where it's a flash sale kind of deal where you do like the, you basically try to get the sales on like, you know, between let's call it five days. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like the work really starts now that the book's out because it's only going to reach as many people as I wanted to reach if I put in the time and effort. So my old self would move on to a new project. And this is when I was a creative, you know, Mm. and your program helped me shift into like a business owner. And so as a creative, I would have just been looking for another thing to publish for this, for the sake of being able to say a publishing created something new. Mm. But if I did that with this book, I would be leaving a lot of value on the table. And so I'm, trying to step in this new role as myself of giving the, the time this project deserves, even though it's already released. And so right now I'm just, you know, putting all my energy, time, investing my money into, you know, making this thing fly. Dude, good for you, man. Good for you. That's fucking awesome. That's a great answer to that question. <laughs> you know, Thank you. you could have taken that a different route, but you stuck to your guns. I, I think that's brilliant. And you did such a, you know, good job of the branding. And I just, I love the way that, you know, you're kind of taking this, you're turning it into a brand, 
and not just like a book. Mm -hmm. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that's what that's what I'm getting from this. It's like it's becoming its own, you know, its own thing, its own identity, its own yeah. its Thank own you. brand. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you recognize cool. that. I think that is something that happened naturally without I don't know. It was just like as the book went out and then I kind of, you know, made the PR boxes and I had these like coffee mugs made and I was like, wait a second, this could be more than a book. Um, and so, yeah, we're definitely trying to run with that right now, but uh, thank you for yeah. saying that. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I feel it. It's, you know, again, more of that like companionship, you know, launching a book, like I don't have any experience personally, but I have relationships with people like yourself who have launched books and, this shit, it's like, it's not like, you know, I wrote this book, come check it out. I mean, it's like, I hate, I hate saying it, but it's a bit of a grind, you know, getting this thing out you got to fucking go on a tour and do podcasts. And like, I, I don't know if people quite understand like what just putting out a book means, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. It's tough. It's true. It is, uh, you know, I started working on this in March of 2019 and just release it in june of 2021 um yeah and i think i took one two-week vacation after i finished uh the first draft and other than that i was basically working on it every single week wow like it was just constant you know but yeah. you know that's why that's that's why i believe in you know following your interests and choosing something you love because you won't get tired of it hopefully mm -hmm. um and that's how i'm able to show up and be dedicated to something like this is because I made something that I'm proud of. And that's something I, you know, ch chose for myself to make rather than to please someone else. Um, mm. So I think that's important. What's, what's kind of the big, big vision for you. If you, if you don't mind, you don't, you don't have to talk about it if you want to keep it kind of to yourself, but. Where, where do you see not just this book, but like just your brand in general, where, where, you, where do you see yourself taking this? You know, it's like, it's so hard to say. And I, I try not to get fixated too much on the future because I think then I get caught up too much in what I need to be doing like perfectly. And I mm -hmm. think if I'm just trying to just thinking about like the next step rather than the next 10, I think it, that helps me a lot more. And so right now it's just like, I don't, the, I feel like there's so much opportunity that can happen um, mm. because of the role that I've been working in with writing and putting out a book. And, you know, there could be public speaking opportunities that come up. There could be, you know, who knows if there's a workshop that happens or it's just so hard for me to wrap my mind around what could happen. I try not to get so fixated on that and more fixated on how can I get this in front of a million people? Yeah. No, That's more important that. to me. Um, and then I also have like, I have a whole like music side of me that I'm pursuing. And that's something that has mm. been a part of my life for a long time. And it's something that I want to do as a career eventually. And so I'm just really exploring writing and music as like my two main, my main paths that I'm following. And so I guess you could say music is, you know, on the horizon. So you are going to kind of infuse music with your brand or maybe another thing and, you know, make it a part of just, you know, everything that you have going on. Is that? Um, yeah, I think it would, I think it would actually be its own like entity. 
Um, okay. Depending on what kind of, you know, if it's a, if I use an alias or whatever. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think that, that, that story will, will, you know, pan out for itself. I just try not to get too fixated on the future because I know myself well and I'll start to overthink things really quickly yeah. and because I'm a notorious overthinker. So I have to like, I have to reel myself back in a lot of times, just be like, right now, this is what we're doing right now. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm just confident that with the professionalism that I put into my work, like I'm confident, you know, it's only going to grow just like the compound effect. Um, and I yep. think that's what helps me not be so worried about the future. And like, what am I going to do with this? What am I going to be when I'm 40? It's like, what am I going to be when I'm, you know, 28? Mm. All I, I don't know. It's, I don't think I try not to think so far. Yeah. I think that's smart. I think the five-year plan is like, you got to get that out of your head. I, I, For me, I like to focus on the next two to three years. Yeah. Really max. It's um, more reasonable for sure. Yeah. Because like you said, things really do evolve. Things change. Like, you know, who the hell knows who you are and what you're doing and like, you know, five years to for sure. come up with that. I'm just like, yeah, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I think it's, I think it's good to have, you know, some type of like, just a, like a little bit of like a general direction. Right. Yes. But then those next two years or even year, you know, get that kind of nailed down. Um, I think that's, I think that's really, really key. Um, and then the reason why I asked about the the music, because I think it's so important to have um, to have passions that you don't necessarily monetize. Do you have mm-hmm. it's obviously not the, the music because you want to make that your, its own thing. But do you have certain passions and things that, you know, you don't post about, you don't talk about? Like, I think that's key for everybody to have. Yeah, um, I mean. I post about like travel stuff and photography, mm-hmm. but I don't feel a drive to monetize my photography. I've, I'm, I love For my photographies. Yeah. I love photography so much. I've always had this gut feeling that if I monetize it, I will learn to hate it. And I don't want that to happen because it brings me so much joy and just sharing mm-hmm. online like that. I, I love to go to a place, take a photo edit it and then show the world how I see the world um, mm-hmm. and then create like a gallery for a location that that art is fun to me. And so mm-hmm. I feel like that's really like becoming my, my passion where I don't have this like crazy drive to like have a business model for it essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. No, I think that's key. I, I had a podcast with my buddy Amos and um, he's a photographer and that's his job. And like, it's it, it was a pretty powerful episode because you know everyone knows him as this like elite photographer mm-hmm. he's so great but like he i don't want to say he hates it but like he doesn't shoot for other people really anymore he's really wanting to just shoot for himself family friends like maybe some other stuff but yeah. like you know just that whole profession it's really turned him off of like shooting and doing these things yeah for, for it becomes people. work you know, yeah. there's, there's shitty part of work, no matter what line of work you're in, even if it's something you love. Yeah, totally. So yeah, you, I, I definitely, it's funny because 
we just had this conversation this past weekend at camping was that you just got to be careful taking a passion and making it a, your business because of that reason, because there is a potential and an opportunity for it to, you know, kind of turn on you. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, being careful with the things you do love um, and just trying to find a way to, you know, love your work, love what you do to get, to get paid. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, that's why I've kind of, kind of taken the gas pedal off of building a business model around my photography because the more I go outdoors here, the more I realize I just fucking love it and I don't even get paid to do it. And I just love it. You know, I just yeah. love doing it. It makes me happy. Yeah. I, I, I think everybody needs that, man. I think everybody needs something that they don't necessarily monetize that they absolutely yeah. love. You know, it's key. Um, I was going to ask you something and I totally forgot and it's just not, it's not popping in there at all. So um, we're, <laughs> we're going to wrap this up because it just didn't come in there. I'm so pissed. This is a good question, but maybe we'll have to have you come back on. Um, yeah. I, I am, uh, I am curious and I do ask this quite a bit, but what is your perfect day? And are you living that perfect day right now? Or is that perfect day from sunrise to sunset? And do you think you're living that as we speak? Um, no, I'm not living it for sure. Um, I think my perfect day, if I could combine all the things I love into one day, I would wake up, I would go surfing. Um, mm. Now moving to Seattle, I don't have access to the beach like I used to have when I lived in Newport, LA. So I would spend womp, time womp. at the uh, yeah one downside <laughs> to moving, but we got a lot one more downside. out here. Um, yeah, sure. I would I would definitely spend mornings at the beach, and um, honestly, just being outside in nature and camping somewhere like epic. Like I love mm. camping. And I will love it for the rest of my life. And then there's also something about being in a national park. And if you want to get more specific, I really enjoy camping in tall trees um, rather Mm. than an open campground. So somewhere where I'm just like in a forest um, with my van and my fiance and we're just, you know, enjoying life. I think that it's it's a simple day. Um, But if I could do those two things, I feel like I'd be living the perfect day. Why don't you think you're living that right now? Because the beach is three and a half hours from me. Oh, okay. All right. So you got some <laughs> physical limitations. Yeah. But uh, sure. yeah, I mean, I'm still in that perfect day. There was, there was no involvement of work. Um, so I guess if, if money wasn't a, a factor in life, I would be able to live that perfect day, but that's not the case. So I try to live that yeah. perfect day a couple of times a month, minus the surfing, which is why we go camping so much. Um, I get it. So I think, yeah, just being outdoors in general to me is a perfect day yeah i love it simple it's always so simple like every time i ask that question it's like such a simple answer (laughs) and yet we're just like complicating all the shit yes we are well if you want to uncomplicate it all you got to do is read jordan's book check this thing out baby jordan tarver get unstuck find your path and become the best version of yourself i'm looking forward to wrapping this thing up for myself um where can where can people follow you yeah, um, Instagram, book. Jordan Tarver. Um, you can snag the book on Amazon or you can head to my website, jordantarver.com. And I'll see you there. Cool, man.
thanks for being here. Appreciate Thank, you, dude. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Peace, guys. Peace.